Here's a story from The World. During the first impeachment trial of former President Trump, National Security Council member Alexander Vindman was a central witness. He listened in on that now infamous phone call between Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, the one where Trump pressured the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Vindman reported his concerns up the chain of command, then found himself testifying before Congress and addressing his father in his opening remarks. Dad. I'm sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected professionals, talking to our elected professionals is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. Retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman's new book is titled Here, Right Matters, An American Story. He recently spoke with my colleague Marco Werman. Alexander Vindman, we just heard you testifying to Congress and focusing your remarks to your dad. You write in your book that your father did not want you to testify. In fact, it was kind of a point of tension between you two. Why did he not want you to testify and why ultimately did you? My family dynamic involves points of tension with our dad kind of disagreeing with him on politics and certain things of that nature a common thread between immigrants from failed communist regimes where the pendulum swings him to an unhealthy brand of conservatism. But when he spoke to me about the dangers involving challenging the president, it was from his decades of experience in a deep understanding of power and how power works, Mm. harkening back to his time in the Soviet Union, where the consequences would be much more severe. Well, family is central to you and your story. So let's back up to the beginning. You were born in Ukraine in 1975. Your father took you, your two brothers, and your grandmother in 1979 to the U.S. At a certain point, your older brother, Len, joins the U.S. military, as did your brother, Eugene. You also decided to take that path. What drew you to the military? Well, I think for us, our older brother set the template. We were highly energetic kids. And by watching our older brother start in ROTC and then enlist, we tried to emulate him. And when he was going for runs or climbing ropes and all that kind of stuff, we did the same thing and very quickly settled on going into university and, and ROTC, some service to repay this country. And, you know, it sounds kind of a little bit hokey, but we did actually think about it in those terms. So you joined the U.S. Army. Tell me about your deployment to Iraq. That was 2004. You were in Fallujah, some of the toughest fighting the U.S. military has ever been involved with. I know you learned a big lesson there about letting down your guard, and I want to know how that lesson came into play some years later. First of all, what happened in Iraq, the incident with the IED and the bicycle? You know, this was early days in the deployment, relatively soon after the war started, not not very long after at all, actually. And within the first month or so, we were committed to Phantom Fury, the second fight for Fallujah, the largest urban fight that the U.S. military had engaged in since Vietnam. In preparation for that, we were conducting a reconnaissance. And on this patrol, while we were driving around the battlefield, my convoy was struck by a particularly nasty kind of improvised explosive device, one that was designed to punch through armor. At the time, you know, new new to combat, there was a, a phrase that was rattling around my mind, the absence of the normal or the presence of the abnormal, which is something that I would retain with me through my service as an attache in Russia or in the White House, for that matter, looking for markers that something is off. And 
One of the other lessons I learned from this is, frankly, that I was trainable and I re- reacted in a cool, calm, collected manner to being hit by an ID. You know, I remember the cabin and the and the Humvee filling up with smoke, but very, very quickly collecting myself, assessing my counterparts were injured. The driver was the only one that was completely uninjured and that we were still in the middle of a potential fight and that I had a job to do. So mm. it was a good early test of, of uh, my military training. So fast forward to 2019. Fiona Hill, Trump's Russia specialist, hires you to serve on the NSC. So now you're working for the White House. Then on July 25th, 2019, the so-called perfect phone call between Trump and Volodymyr Zelensky, the former TV comedian who'd just become a president of Ukraine. Tell us where you were in the White House at the time and the part you played in that call. So it was the uh, White House Situation Room. We were focused on an intercom, listening to a phone call that I was extremely apprehensive about. And as soon as the president came online, not only was it not going to advance U.S. national security interests, but when the president went into his quid pro quo, when he said, I'd like you to do us a favor, though, he was attacking both U.S. national security and putting us in a position where Ukraine would be more vulnerable, easier for Russia to draw into its orbit. And therefore, Russia would pose a much more potent adversary to the U.S. with Ukraine. And at the same time, attacking US, the U.S. domestically by undermining free and fair elections, the very foundation of how our system works. So taking that lesson from your deployment to Iraq in 2004, be alert to both the absence of normal as well as the presence of the abnormal. Did you sense either of those prior to that phone call? How much of was that call a surprise to you? I had a very good idea of what was happening behind the scenes. I was stubborn in thinking that these were maybe folks looking to ingratiate themselves with the president, people looking to do the president's bidding, but without you know, the president's knowledge and forethought. I thought that might have been the case. And of course, once the president had vocalized this, it became abundantly clear to me, something that I couldn't kind of just set aside based on the fact that I'm an army officer and the commander in chief was the one that was failing to live up to his oath to the Constitution and threatening our democracy. I couldn't deny that anymore. And I didn't think the president was above the law. This is a country of laws. And I did what I thought was right, which is reporting him. After you testified in the impeachment hearing, many Trump supporters and certain corners of the media started a smear campaign against you. You were called a traitor. You were even accused of being a Ukrainian spy. How personal did it get? I mean, for them, there was no kind of limit. What's interesting is that it was the president's press office that generated those attack points. And then, of course, those have been reverberating for the years since. But their personal attacks don't have a impact on me, frankly. I have, in fact, felt a lot of support from my colleagues and peers, Americans that reached out and passed letters of support or emails. And then you have these kind of anonymous tweets or something of that nature that are attacking me. It's easy to kind of separate what really matters, put it in perspective. The rest of it is background noise. Well, those forces that smeared you um, after your testimony are still very much alive in the U.S., and many feel the undermining of American democracy continues after the Trump years. You're in the academic sphere these days, Alexander Vindman, thinking about all of this. What occurs to you about the way forward to preserving the values that this country represented, like to your father when he brought you and the rest of your family here back in 1979? You know, it's interesting. There have been probably brief moments where my confidence has wavered, but largely it's remained unshaken. And that's probably because of perspective on, on where my family's come from. But at the same time, we're missing something that could help bring us together. And that's accountability. 
That's accountability of public officials that fail to live up to their responsibilities. And that's accountability of media personalities that see profit in attacking the United States. Accountability is one of the passages we need to pass through in order to get back to unity and keep this country strong. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman speaking with my colleague Marco Werman. His new book is Here, Right Matters, An American Story.